All right, so God in the Movies, 2020. Um, I've been doing this series for, for so long. It's the most enduring uh, message series here at the river, and um, it's, it's one of my favorites. I, I love doing God in the Movies. I was telling somebody this morning that it takes me a lot longer to do these messages because uh, I have to exegete the movie, and I have to do a, some extra reading, and but um, I, I love the results, and, uh, and it's, it's fun to do this, and, and I, I hope that it'll, it'll bless you. Um, now, if you're new here, let me just help you understand a few things about God of the Movies uh, for the coming series, um, just a few ground rules, which I kind of lay down uh, each year. Uh, first of all, you need to understand why we do a series like this, and the reason is that we believe that not only uh, can God speak through creation— and not only does he speak to the Bible in an authoritative and in a special way, uh, but God can also speak through culture. He can also speak through good art. And so God of the Movies is all about finding good art as it exists in our movie culture and then using that art as kind of a backdrop to understand more about reality, about life, about uh, what God is saying to us in and through um, his revelation. So, so that's why we do the series, and if you're a little skeptical, just keep coming, and you'll, you'll kind of get the hang of it as the series unfolds. Um, number two, parents, keep in mind the guidance for these films. Um, we are not watching all G-rated Disney films, okay? And uh, I say this each year. Now, it's a pretty tame lineup, but I will say that both Chocolat, uh, which, we, which we'll be doing, I think, in week four, and then Crazy Rich Asians... Um, have a few racy scenes. So, so just keep that in mind. Um, we don't choose these movies uh, because they're G-rated or, you know, or, or even because we agree with everything that they're saying. Um, we look at these movies because they're good art. They're worth looking at. And just like if you go to a, an art gallery and you see some different portraits and pictures, it doesn't mean that you can't appreciate the beauty of, of a painting, of a piece of art, even though the content of it might not be everything that you agree with. All right. Um, thirdly, do your homework, all right? So your homework assignment is to actually watch uh, the movies. Now, it's better, it's better if you watch them in advance, but I do know that some of you, uh, what you tend to do is you tend to take in the message, and then you watch the movie kind of with uh, a different perspective. But I'd encourage you to watch ahead of time. Uh, they're all good movies, and um, maybe you can get together with some friends, have a little bit of a viewing party, um, and uh, it, it can be a lot of fun uh, to watch these movies together and, and maybe even kind of guess at, at what I'm going to be talking about on Sunday morning. Uh, by the way, I, I might change the third movie in the series, The Peanut Butter Falcon, uh, but I'll let you know for sure next week. So um, watch it anyway. It's a good film, but I'm some have something else in mind, uh, and again, I'm still working on that. Okay, on to today's movie, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Okay, show of hands, how many of you saw this movie? Okay, that's, that's well, that's more than I thought, actually. Good, good stuff. Um, I'm guessing something this morning. Um, I'm guessing that if you were over X age, all right, and I'll let you fill in the blank on X age. 45. Um, I'm guessing that you probably didn't like this movie that much. That you were kind of watching it going, what is this all about? And you're like, well, I, I, why does Pastor Bruce pick such weird films? And, um, 
But if you're under X age, okay, you love this film. You thought this was an amazing film. Now, you need to know that it was critically acclaimed. It received 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. That is really, really high. Um, so let me just say, hang in there with me this morning, and I'm going to show you why I chose this movie. I mean, I'm well north of 50, okay, and, and, and I like it. Um, I didn't actually like it the first time I watched it, but the more I watched it, the more I like it. And listen, I'm not even a big fan of superhero movies, right, Janessa? And I picked it anyway, so put that in your pipe. All right, um, a little bit about the film itself. Itself. Um, Released in 2018, it's the first full-length animated film in the Spider-Man franchise. And when I say franchise, I mean like they make a ton of Spider-Man movies. Uh, in fact, there was a second one that came out this year as well. Um, it's based on a comic book series featuring Miles Morales, uh, who is the, the main character in this film, as Spider-Man, uh, as opposed to Peter Parker. Um, it was first released, this particular comic book series, not Spider-Man, that, that goes way back. Um, this particular series was released by Marvel Comics in 2011. And if you watch the film, you know that it's set in a shared multiverse. So um, this is a, a, a universe that has alternative universes. Now more on this later because it's really important to understand this, to understand what's going on in the film. The film was theatrically released in December 2018 and grossed over, get this, $375 million worldwide, a blockbuster. And uh, again, for those of you who are watching the film thinking, what is this? It, it received a ton of critical praise, including, including winning the best animated feature at both the Academy Awards and Golden Globes. And uh, so, look, when that happens, you've got to take a film seriously, right? So, um, the plot. The plot centers on a teenager named Miles Morales, who struggles to live up to the expectations of his father, police officer Jefferson Davis, who, like every other cop in the Spider-Man franchise, sees Spider-Man as a menace. Miles, and this is kind of a big theme in the movie, just wants to be normal. He, he just wants to fit in. He just wants to enjoy going to school with his friends and, and having fun. And, you know, he doesn't want to stand out from the crowd. He wants to blend into the crowd. But because he's really smart, his parents have him going to a school for gifted kids. And his first day there does not go well, to say it mildly. And he ends up sneaking out to be with his super cool but less upstanding Uncle Aaron. And Aaron takes him to a subway station to paint graffiti, and guess what happens? Surprise, surprise, he gets bit by a radioactive spider, just like in every other Spider-Man story. But, but here's where the story goes in a bit of a different direction. Because upon Miles' return to the subway station to search for uh, the spider that bit him and to find some answers... He meets Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man, Peter Parker Spider-Man, which leaves you thinking, wait a minute, now there's two Spider-Mans? How, how's this going to work? But then, but then, in a kind of a 
huge twist, it isn't long before the original Spider-Man is killed by Kingpin, the villain. I mean, that in and of itself is like a, whoa, Spider-Man's dead. This, this villain, this, this Kingpin, is building this super collider in order to bring his, his dead family back from the dead from a parallel universe. Okay, let's just stop there, okay? And um, I just want to make sure every one of you is on board with this parallel universe concept, okay? Because later on in the film, you meet a bunch of different Spider-Mans, all who have been brought to this universe via Kingpin's super collider, okay? Now, if you're a Trekkie, all right, and I know some of you are, or if you're a fan of the superhero genre, or you're into quantum physics, uh, or you're younger than 45, um, you're probably already familiar with this concept. But if not, let me just give you a quick, a really quick definition. A parallel universe is a world conceived of as coexisting and having certain similarities to the known world, but different from it in some fundamental ways. Okay? It stems from the idea that since every, that at every moment, every possible outcome is possible, then all possible outcomes must exist in some way, shape, or form. Are you with me? Or are we just deep in the weeds? Maybe deep in the weeds, right? Okay. Anyway, the most important thing to understand is that each and every Spider-Man you meet in this movie, Peter, or Peter P. Parker, who is the older Spider-Man, um, who mentors Giles, uh, Gwen Stacy, Spider-Woman, Penny Parker, or Peter Pork Porker as Spider-Ham, they're all Spider-Men and women from parallel universes, and they've brought, been brought to this universe by Kingpin's machine. And of course, as the story unfolds, they all band together to, to defeat the bad guy and save the day. Spoiler alert, okay? Now, in one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie, and I'm going to show you this in just a few seconds, it revolves around New York waking up to discover that the original Spider-Man has been killed. And, and then uh, everyone's kind of shocked, and a sort of a makeshift memorial uh, takes place for him at which MJ, Spider-Man's original love interest, remember the upside-down kiss? Okay, and um, she speaks. Now, what she says is really important. And uh, there is some music that makes it just a tiny bit difficult to understand this morning. So just pay attention and have a look at this clip. Okay. Um, by the way, you know who the shopkeeper is? Stan Lee. Stan Lee. That's right. Who is the inventor, the original inventor of Spider-Man. And it's his voice. Okay. And... Um, and I, see, I bought Spider-Man comics as a kid. In fact, I had one to 200, well, a little bit more than that, all the comic books of Spider-Man. It was a beautiful thing. And then my mother, one year when I went off to college, threw them all out in the junk. Thousands of dollars, for which I'm still trying to forgive her. Anyway, uh, Stanley, original writer, um, he actually died last year, uh, well, actually, it's two years ago now, um, just a few weeks before the film was released. And so it makes what he says to Miles even more poignant, right? And he says, the pseudo always fits eventually, right? We're going to get to that. Now, I, again, I know M what MJ said 
was difficult to hear over the music. But here's the most important thing she said. At the very end of that clip, she said, we are all Spider-Man in our own way. And we are all counting on you. Okay? What I want to talk to you about this morning is this amazing call that God has on your life and my life this morning. The life that he's inviting each one of us into. But, but we, need, we need to start with vision. We need to start with an archetype. And, and here's what I mean. For, for all of us would-be Spider-Men and women, we need a vision of what we're, we're supposed to look like. We need someone to exemplify an image of what we could be. Are you with me? In these movies, not just this one, but the other 20 Spider-Man movies they've made, there is this common theme, right? As human beings, we need someone to show us the way, right? We need someone to give us a vision for what human life ought to look like. Now, does that sound like anybody you know? Starts with a J and ends with an Jesus? Jesus, okay, all right. It's always the right answer in church, right? And you need to know um, that this is a, it's a crucial idea in the Bible. Now, it's important to understand that Jesus is unique. And I, and I talked about this fairly extensively on Christmas Eve. The Apostle John, in fact, has to invent a new word for us to grasp this. Jesus isn't just a son. No, he's called the only begotten son. And the word that he invents is, is this word, monogenesis. Monogenesis, all right? Mono meaning one, okay? Genes being a kind of a word that makes us think of Genesis, right? The beginning of all things, the creation of the world. And of course, that's exactly what John wants you to think of. John writes this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The monogenesis of the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is saying is that only Jesus can do what Jesus does. It's only because Jesus is the monogenesis that he can take away the sin of the world. And this is what John means later on in that very famous verse that he writes, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his what? His monogenesis son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. There's no one like him. There's no one like Jesus. But, okay, and this is a huge but, the Bible also makes it clear that at the same time, Jesus is also not meant to be unique. Colossians 1 says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, not the onlyborn, the firstborn of all creation. So, so you see, on the one hand, Jesus is the monogenesis, is the only begotten son, but he's also the firstborn of everyone else. In the same book, um, Paul writes this about how we are made to image Jesus. He writes this, And we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. 
It's like in Jesus, God is handing everyone the suit. And he's saying, wear the suit. And we say, but it doesn't fit. And he says, but it will. But it will. You see, God... God's humanity 2.0 starts with Jesus. The way to think about this from a, from a human perspective is that through our original father, through Adam, through Ish, as he's known in the Hebrew, we are all fallen. We all have a damaged operating system, so to speak. We're all prone to say to God, I'd rather do it my way. But in Jesus, we have the opportunity to receive a new operating system through the power of the Spirit, a system that allows us to become fully human, what God intended from the beginning. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, For as in Adam, Adam, all die, so in Christ all can be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Now, it's important to understand and to realize that even as fallen creatures, we still bear God's image. This is what, what makes humanity capable of so many wonderful things. And, and this is why we also keep going to the movies like this, right? I mean, to movies like Spider-Man, because we know, we know, deep down inside, this, this world ought to be a good place, right? This is why when we encounter bad things, right? When, when we encounter injustice, right? When we see Australia on fire, when we see people in need, even when we see something as, you know, like it's just a little dead squirrel on the side of the street, we're like, ah, right? It, when we see these things happening, when we see evil winning and good losing in whatever form, we think somebody ought to do something about this, right? And, and that, the Bible says, is just in us, right? That's God's imago Dei. That's his... The image of God in us. Jesus came among us full of grace and truth and invited us through the power of the Holy Spirit to put on the suit, to follow him in becoming the first fruits of a new humanity. MJ says, we are all Spider-Man in our own way. And we're all counting on you. We're all counting on you. Jesus is calling us to put on the suit and to be part of his mission to transform this world, to turn it back into a garden. But, but let's, let's take this calling thing just a little deeper this morning. And, and in the time remaining, I want to talk about three really important aspects of this calling. And, and, and it's, it's incredibly important, but you can see this in the movie. You can also see it in an incredible Bible passage, Romans 12, verse 8, which is going to be kind of a touchstone passage for us this morning. Uh, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. And um, I'm going to read it. It's a longer passage, but it's, it's one of the most important passages in the New Testament. Therefore, Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. 
but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed, distributed to each one of you. For just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is to prophesy, then prophesy in accordance with, with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So, uh, critical passage. And let's talk about these different aspects of the call. First aspect. It's unique to you. It's unique to you. One of the facets um, of this film that I love is that every one of the Spider-Men and women in this film has spider skills, but they all have it in a different way. Each one is unique. Each, each one wears the suit in a different way. Miles can turn invisible. Spider-Gwen, and this is going to come back in the sequel, is capable of interdimensional travel. There's going to be a sequel, by the way, just in case you're wondering. Not like that's a surprise or anything. Uh, Spider-Man Noir has special networking skills and doesn't feel pain. Penny Parker fights using a robot and has special computer skills, which this shows up in the film. Peter Porker can float in the air when he smells something good to eat. That last one is kind of strange, I know. And, and it's true for each one of us as human beings as well. Look at this passage again. Paul says plainly, we all have different gifts. We all have different gifts. What Paul is talking about are, are spiritual gifts, special gifts that are unique to each one of us, special spidey powers, so to speak, that we have Uniquely, when we choose to follow Christ, the Holy Spirit activates and empowers these gifts. And I'm using the word activate very deliberately because often our spiritual gifts are related to our natural gifts. Are you with me? Some of you this morning have awesome leadership gifts. Some of you have awesome gifts of teaching. Some of you hospitality. Some of you encouragement. Some of you music. The list goes on and on. Lots of different gifts. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of these gifts, they can be deployed to do so much good, both in the church and in the world. In fact, this is why the Bible makes it very clear, crystal clear, that we need to use our gifts. We can't bury our gifts. We can't sit in them. It's imperative that you use your gifts. We're all counting on you. Now, what this means is that each one of our callings, you know, this path that God is calling us onto, this, this, this new way of being human, each one will be different. My calling will be different from your calling based on the difference between my gifts and your gifts. Someone, um, sometimes people come up to me and, and they ask me, uh, Pastor Bruce, what's my calling? And I always have the same answer. Um, I say, I don't know. I don't know. That is something that you have to discover for yourself. I can't give you a calling. Only God can give you a calling. But, but one of the most important ways of figuring out what your calling is is to look at your gifts, all right? 
and to be honest about your gifts. I remember one time someone came to me and they said, I have the same kind of gifting as Amy Grant, famous Christian singer. And I said, great, we, we can always use more worship leaders in the church. Um, but then she actually started to sing. And we realized that her greater gift was distracting people with her voice, causing great dissonance, uh, breaking glass. And, um, and so we had to say to her, we don't think you have those gifts. We don't think you should be singing or, or leading in worship, right? Which she did not like. But again, it's important to be honest about these things. So you look at your gifts, and it helps you understand what your, what your calling is. Paul uses this metaphor of the body, right? He says human bodies are made up of all different kinds of parts which do not have the same function. So basically he's saying figure out what your function is in relation to the whole and then function that way. All right? So tell me, what's your gift? Are you in touch with your gift? Are you in touch with your spidey skill? And if not, then one of the... I think New Year's best New Year's resolutions that you can make is to say, I'm going to figure out what my spiritual gift is or my spiritual gifts because you can have more than one. Because I want to make sure that as I enter into this new decade, God can use me for maximum impact. He can make the, the most difference through my life possible. He can do the most good through, through me possible. And you need some help with that, you can come talk to me and, um, and we'll put some stuff together. All right, second thing, second aspect of this calling, and it's this, and it's, it's something that you, you may not like as much as the first one. It requires sacrifice. If we're going to live out this calling that God has for us, it's going to require sacrifice. Paul says in Romans, offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. And, and um, we, we all want to wear the suit, right? We all want to put on our Spider-Man suit um, because it's cool, right? And it looks good. But, but we have to understand that what it means, at least to put on the, the suit in the way that God wants us to put, to put on the suit, to, to wear it in the way that God wants us to wear it, we need to understand that what this means is we're giving up on our rights, we're giving up on our right to determine what's right for ourselves and to lead our own life, so to speak. And that's really hard, especially, especially in this culture, because this culture insistently tells us that we should never give up that right. It tells us that this is our inalienable right to live as we choose, to choose our own path, to make up our own destiny, right? To carve out the rock for ourselves. But, but you need to understand that a fundamental aspect of living the Christian life is to put to death the notion that I ought to be the captain of my own soul. And this is one of the hardest things to do because it's so easy for me to believe that my life belongs exclusively to me. And, and you need to know that, that putting this to death, so to speak, and that's the language the Bible uses, it, it feels like death. It feels like we're losing something. But let me, let me tell you this. Although it's difficult, although it's hard, although it feels like death, on the other side of it, there's life, right? 
you know, um, one of the hallmark, hallmarks of the Spider-Man franchise um, that makes me love it so much is this notion that actually being Spider-Man is going to cost you. With great power comes great what? Responsibility, but also, and this comes through time and time again in the films, in the comic books, is sacrifice. You have to be willing to place the safety and well-being of others, of this planet, of the work that you're being called into ahead of yourself. What's more, you must do it over and over and over again, every episode, so to speak. And that's true for us as well. There's an old trope that goes, um, the problem with living sacrifices is that they keep crawling off the altar, right? What does Jesus say? He says, we need to take up our cross daily in every episode of our lives. But, but there's another aspect to this, because as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, as, as important as this is in terms of, of actually being used by God in a powerful way, Right? Because I honestly believe that, that unless, until you come to that place where you're saying, God, not my will, but yours be done, you will never enter into the life, the full life that God has for you. It's impossible. Because you can't, you can't have two captains of, of the same ship, right? It, it's it's going to go around in circles. But, but the other aspect is this, and, and it's a kind of a paradox. Because Paul doesn't just say that we should become sacrifices. No, he says, Living sacrifices. He's saying, in other words, Jesus was right. In order to find life, you have to give it away. If you try to save your life, paradoxically, you will lose it. But if you lose yourself for my sake, says Jesus, you will find the life that you're looking for. And, and, and what's cool is you'll find it in two ways, all right? In, in two ways. First of all, you'll, you'll begin to, to, to live the life that God has for you in this life, so to speak. You, you will find purpose and meaning and, and direction and opportunity in ways that you would never find until you say yes to God's will for your life. I mean, you, you will find yourself um, in, in, in not, not the, always the easiest of places, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that God is offering you an easy life, but he's offering you a meaningful life. A life where as you're living it, you'll, you'll have this sense, I'm on purpose. I'm, I'm living my life, and my life has meaning, all right? It has weight. It has substance. It's not just all about me, 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 me. At the end of my life, I can look back and go, it was important what I did. There were things that I did that made a difference as I did them in Jesus' name. So, so there, there's that aspect, all right, uh, of, of life, but then there's also the eternal aspect of life, such that when we say yes to the calling that God has for us, we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that at the, at the end of our lives, when we step into the next life, when this, when this body fails us, and this body's gonna fail every one of us, we step into a new life, an eternal life with Jesus. So, so Paul's trying to make that clear. He's saying, you know, it's, this calling is hard. It's difficult. You've got to die to yourself. But, but there's so much life on the other side. So much life. And, and, and you need to understand that. Um, and and it's, it's such an important part of, of what it means to be a Christian. And this surfaces in the movie in all kinds of different ways. 
Um, third aspect of the calling, all right? And it's this. It's a leap of faith. It's a leap of faith. As it turns out, wearing the mask is not enough. An understanding that your calling is unique to you and no one else is not enough. Even coming to grips with the fact that that you, should, you, you need to embrace this calling, you need to choose to die to yourself, that it's going to require sacrifice on your part, is not enough. In the end, it takes a leap of faith. In the movie, uh, the gateway between universes that Kingpin has opened up is causing instability. Um, those suckers always do that, right? And it, and it requires someone to close the gateway. Uh, so how do they do that? Well, apparently, they have to plug in a thumb drive into Kingpin's computer, which seems odd, don't you think? In the age of, of you know, the cloud and supercomputers, the fate of the universe depends on a thumb drive. But, but this means that somebody, somebody has to do it. Now, naturally, Miles thinks it's him, right? I mean, he, he thinks, I, I'm going to be the one to, to do this work because we've got to send all these other Spider-Men back to their own dimensions, the problem is that he's not ready. It becomes painfully clear as the movie unfolds that though he has these powers, he has trouble using them. He can't call them up on, on command. And so there's a good chance that if it's up to him to plug in the thumb drive, once all the other Spider-Mans are gone, He'll be defeated by Kingpin and his henchmen, and the universe will be destroyed anyway. So now let me play for you a scene where Peter B. Parker, okay, this is the old Peter Parker from another universe, um, has some bad news. I mean, he's been mentoring Miles throughout the film. Um, have a look uh, at this pivotal scene. Wearing the mask is not enough. You have to take a leap of faith. So um, you're asking, just, just what is this leap of faith? Well, I'm going to tell you in just a few moments. But before I do, um, I need to say something else. And it's this. Christians are not the only one, ones that can do good things. Christians are not the only ones that can do good things. There are lots of people from other religions or no particular religion at all capable of doing good things. Uh, they serve the poor, they keep their promises, uh, and they try to save the environment, they pay their taxes. Uh, you get my drift. And they ought to be respected for it. Okay? In fact, in some ways, when I see some people doing good things, um, there's a part of me that I don't even care about their motivations. I'm just glad that they are, are doing good things. Right? Can you imagine what this world would be like if only Christians did good things? It would be a pretty scary place, wouldn't it? Having said that, okay, I mean, having said that, you know, doing good is not just for Christians. What makes Christians different? Well, it's that they have an inner power for doing good that will give them a consistency and durability in doing good unlike anyone else, okay? And what is that power? 
It's the power of the cross. It's the power of the cross. Look at what Paul says. He doesn't just say, I think it's a good idea for you guys to become living sacrifices. No, he says this. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You see, if you, if you don't believe in the gospel, in the good news that there's forgiveness in life in Jesus, then what's your motivation for being good? What's your motivation for using your power, so to speak? Well, perhaps it's tradition, right? Over Christmas, a lot of people, Christians or not, have a tradition of helping people, right? Like maybe serving down at the mustard seed or, or, or giving a few extra dollars to the, the, the guy um, collecting for Salvation Armor, the guy dressed up as Santa Claus outside the grocery store, right? Perhaps it's out of prudence. You know, some people say, I don't believe in the gospel, but I think it's wise for people to do good things. It will have the best outcomes, all right? Perhaps religion, right? And by religion, I mean the opposite of the gospel, all right? In other words, you're doing it out of fear that if you don't do good, God or, or karma or something else uh, is going to get you in the end. So you're thinking, I better be good, I better do good things, because I don't, you know, don't want to be on the short end of the stick um, at the end of existence, right? And so ultimately, really, then your motivation is fear. But for Christians, ultimately, we are not motivated by what's external, but by what's internal. We are motivated by the selfless love of Jesus, right? By the joy that we have received in knowing that he first loved us. So, so when we look at the cross, what do we see? We, we see the mercy of God. We see the grace of God. We see the power of God's love for me. This amazing love, how can it be? And what happens is it, is it changes our hearts. So what is this leap of faith that I'm talking about? It's putting my ultimate trust in that. In the supernatural power of God to bring life out of death, to bring hope out of fear, to bring what is eternal out of that which is temporary. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, live as living sacrifices. You know, the, the word in view, is it's not an intellectual word. It's a, it's a heart word. Paul is not talking about just doing good things. He's talking about heart transformation. And when that happens, through the power of the Holy Spirit, resident in your life and my life, in your heart and my heart, we can become the same kind of people that Jesus was. And we can begin to live the same kind of supernatural life that he lived, both now and in the life to come. And, and what I love about this movie is this finally happens for Miles. Because all throughout the movie, what is, what is his motivation? What, what's motivating Miles? Well, it's what I talked about in the beginning. It's either to, to fit in and to not stand out in the crowd and, or to be accepted or to not have his dad embarrass him. Or, 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 or mostly it's just fear, right? He's just, he's just a walking fear bag. But finally, he gets to this place, right? And you see it in his eyes where 
the motivation goes from being something external to being something internal. Finally, Miles begins to trust in the mission, in the calling. This crazy calling to put on the suit and to put other people ahead of himself. And, and when that happens, well, Miles begins to fly. Have a look. Aren't the graphics amazing? Uh, just, just amazing in this film, but, but isn't it cool? And you, you watch him, and finally he, you know, he, he figures it out. And he starts to fly, and, and, and he, he's starting to live this life, and he, he realizes that it's a life of, it's got so much power in it, it's got so much potential in it, it it's going to be hard and difficult at times, but, but, but he's looking out over the city in that last scene, and it's like he's looking out over the world and saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to make a difference. Let me tell you something this morning. As long as your motivation for life stays at the level of money or stays at the level of fame or, or stays at the level of what other people think of me, um, you'll never live up to your potential. Again, it doesn't mean you can't do some good things because, you know, even people who can't fly, they can do some good things. But, but if you let your motivation be the cross of Christ, if you lift your head and look at what God has done for you in Jesus, his life poured out for your life, and then his Holy Spirit, this resurrection power poured into your life, right? when that becomes your motivation, man, you can do incredible things. Your, your whole life, you can fly. I mean, you'll find yourself in, in weird places like in the inner city of Los Angeles serving poor people. You'll find your, yourself in Africa doing some work. You'll find yourself working you know, in the downtown area helping people. You'll, you'll, you'll find yourself giving away money um, to, 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 to different causes because they're more important than your own comfort. You'll find yourself... Um, serving other people who are in need. You'll find yourself embracing people who you maybe never embraced before. And you'll feel so on purpose. It's the beginning of a new decade. It's 2020. What will this decade hold for you? My prayer for you is that you will see the love of Jesus you will lift your head and see the cross of Christ. And then you'll let that be your motivation. And that you, you'll fly. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for art like this. That, that just cement some ideas in our mind. It helps us understand the old gospel story in a fresh way. Lord, this morning you're coming to each one of us and you're saying, will you wear the suit? Will you live the life that I have for you? Will you hear the call? And there's so many of us this morning that are saying, but the suit doesn't fit and I'm not, do you say, but it will. 
but it will as you grow into it, but it will as you begin to serve, as you begin to love, as you begin to do these things that I'm inviting you into, as you begin to live on purpose. Help us to follow you, Jesus, in 2020 and beyond. Help us through the power of your spirit to fly. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's children said, amen. Amen.